I love that. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Spring. Also, welcome to all of you who are watching online today. We're in a series called Find Your Life. I've told this story many times before, but I'll probably tell it again a lot, lot more times because it's sort of tattooed on my soul. When my grandfather lay dying, uh, my grandfather was a fine man, but I, he didn't know Christ until midway through his life. And he always felt that he could have done so much more for God. He could have had so much more of a life if he had known Christ when he was young. But I remember going in to see him when he was on his deathbed with my dad. And I was probably 14 or so at the time. And I went into the room with dad and my grandfather really only had a couple of days to live. And he looked at my dad and he called him by name and he said, I've just now learned how to live and now it's time to die. And I, I never can forget that. I, I just think about that often. My, my grandfather said, I've just now learned how to live, and now it's time to die. And I, the more I've experienced life now, I'm 58, it's been a lot of years since then, the one thing I've discovered is that there are a lot of people who live out their lives and they have measures of successes in various areas, but they would have to say the same thing as my grandfather. It's time to die and don't know how to live. And I don't want that to happen to you or to me. I want us to understand what living is all about. Living isn't about how much money you make or it isn't about how famous you are. I played golf one day with a guy who had $800 million. And I liked him. He was a nice guy. But I, I, I wouldn't trade my life for his for anything. So the question that we were asking and we're exploring for these eight weeks is how do you find your life? We all have a sense, I think, that we have a destiny, that we have a life to live, that our creator has destined for us. But how do we find that? How do we discover that? We don't want to be like my grandfather and get to the end of life and say, I've just now begun to learn the secrets and it's, there's no time left. Well, I think the first thing that we're going to understand real clearly as we explore scripture is that if we're going to find life, we're going to find it from following Jesus. In fact, Jesus in giving his purpose statement, mission statement, he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that people might have life. And that's his reason for coming. We just celebrated Christmas. Christ came into our world to give you life. And then he goes on to say life to the full, life to the max. And I want to talk to, and, and I know that not everybody here today is a Christ follower. Some of you are exploring Christ, and I'm so glad you're here. But for those of you who've already discovered Christ and you follow him, I want to talk to some of us today because many of us have experienced um, a confidence moment in Jesus. We have put our confidence and our trust in him to be our savior but our, our relationship with Christ has never really developed. And as a result, we have eternal life. We have, forgive the term, we have hell insurance. But we don't really live a life that's different very much from anyone else. So I would like to take us now to the scripture that caused me to think about this series several months ago from the book of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and... And here's the secret to life. Jesus said, follow me. I love this. The Christian life is not about joining a particular church. It isn't memorizing a creed. It isn't performing some sort of community service. The Christian life is just following Jesus. Most of my series are pretty short. When you have ADD, your attention span is short. But this one is so important that we're, we're spending eight weeks on following Jesus. And we're learning week by week what matters to him, what he did, we're moving with him. We're syncing up our lives with Jesus because Jesus said that is the key to life, following him. And then it's as if he put this footnote on there. For whoever wants to save or to bank his life or whoever wants to protect his life will lose it, will destroy it, will mar it, will blow it up. 
But Jesus said, but whoever blows up his life for him will find it. I was reading that one day when the words find your life came to me for this series because Jesus is saying, look, if you are willing to use up your life for him, we will discover it. We'll herisco, we'll eureka, we'll find our lives. Well, if someone was here today and you say, okay, Mark, I want to follow Jesus. I got to ask you a question. That's what today's talk is going to be about. It's a question that we hear sports, you know, sports announcers use. It's a question that we hear in entertainment. It's a, it's a question we hear a lot. And it's the question, are you serious? Because if you want to follow Jesus, that is a question I have to ask you today. Are you serious? See, a lot of people would follow Jesus. I mean, if, if it meant finding life, they would follow Jesus as long as they could pick him up on their way to Dylan's. Or they could sort of add him to their to-do list today. But we need to be real clear on this. And when it comes to following Jesus, Jesus cares about this. So much so that he wants to know, are you serious? In the Gospel of Luke, and by the way, I hope you bring your Bibles to this or you have an electronic device where you can check out these scriptures. Or if, or if nothing else, just make some notes so that you can read this and look at it more when you get some time. We have to move so fast in these services. But in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, there are three guys that Jesus invites to follow him. But all three of these guys reveal in some fashion that they're not serious. They sort of want to follow him, but they're not serious. And it kind of gets in our chili a little bit today when we see how similar these three guys are to you and me. Let's look at the first guy. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you want to go. Sounds good. We want to sign him up. They want to say, great, you're a new springer now. I want to follow you wherever you go. But Jesus is very, very smart. He's God, and he knew what was in this guy's mind. This guy was going to follow Jesus for all the bling he could get out of him. He thought Jesus was going to be king, so that th he thought it meant a condo and a Bentley for him. And Jesus read his mind, and he basically said, look, you're not going to follow me. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said, I don't even have a hotel room tonight. Just want you to know that. So right out of the box, if, if you want to follow Jesus and your whole purpose is because you want to get rich and famous, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not for you. Okay, most of us pass that test. Look at the second guy. He said to another man, follow me. He gave him an invitation to discover life. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Well, now that doesn't mean what it sounds like. Because it sounds like his dad had died and he wanted to go home and have the funeral. Well, Jesus would have had no problem with that. I think he'd have gone to the funeral with him. He, you know, Jesus might have gone there and raised his dad up to life again. Jesus rough on the funeral business. <laughs> you know. Man, I don't know if people got a refund or not, but that'd be sort of interesting. Go to the funeral business saying, we need a refund here. <laughs> My dad's alive. <laughs> Give us our money back. If you're in the funeral business, I'm sorry about that. Just thought about that. What the guy was saying is, my dad's, you know, I, I, I have some relationship and some responsibilities to my dad, but when my dad dies, then I will follow you. In effect, he was saying, this is not a good time to follow you right now. So when, when my dad passes away, when I retire, then I will follow you. You know, it sounds kind of strong, but Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in that. I'm sorry. I'm not interested in you following me when... It's a better time. And then there's a third guy uh, in verse 61. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Well, again, it's not what it sounds like. If he was just saying, I need to go back and pack, Lord, and I'm going to say goodbye to everybody, 
<laughs> that Lord had been fine with that. That wasn't what he was saying, though. He was basically saying, I need to get everybody in my family on board with this. And some of us are struggling with that. Because you're in a ch church today that isn't part of a denomination or a group, and you say, you know, Mark, if I were to be baptized or if I were to become part of New Spring, it would freak my family out because they've always been Baptist or they've always been this or that. Hey, Jesus isn't interested in that. I mean, the thing about it is the kind of commitment that he wants from us is a, is a kind of commitment greater than anything else. And someone can say, well, Mark, I, I'm really struggling with this whole thing real quick in this message because it sounds to me like Jesus wants to come even ahead of my family, and I don't know if I could do that. We just lost a, a national treasure last year. Maya Angelou was an African-American poet, writer, just an extraordinary woman. And many of you will have read her, uh, her autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. But I love her quote. And think about this for just a moment. By the way, if you're single, think about her quote. And if you're a guy, just change the gender, okay? Listen to what my Angelus said. A woman's heart should be so hidden in God that a man has to seek him just to find her. Isn't that beautiful? You know what Maya is saying? She's saying, look, you haven't been loved till you've been loved by somebody who loves God more than you. You don't know what it's like to have a man love you till you find a man who loves God more than he loves you. You don't know what it's like to be loved till you find a woman who loves God more than she loves you. Christ is just saying, look, put me first. Commit to me first. Then you'll discover life. That's the key. I remember when I was a kid years ago, and I guess I've seen this through the years, somebody put up a billboard. By the way, don't you just hate it when people put, put up billboards and put cheesy religious sayings on there? I'm sure some well-intentioned Christian did that on purpose, thinking that it's going to, like, catch people's attention. And I wonder sometimes, don't they realize how it pushes people away? But anyway, I saw a billboard years ago that said, try God. Try God. You know, and I'm honest. I'm just being real with you today. God isn't interested in people who try him. He wants people to be committed to him. Now, for the next 20 minutes or so, maybe less than that, I'm going to talk about the relationship that you and I have with God, and I'm going to compare it to a marriage. And that's something that the Bible does over and over. In fact, Christians are called the bride of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands are told to love their wives the way Jesus loves the church. So over and over, our relationship to God is, is compared to a marriage. Now, I got married on June 11th, he thought it wasn't going to know. June 11, 1977, Mary Alice and I were doing the math this week. We said, we're going to be married 38 years this year. I'm thinking, I didn't even know I was that old. But <laughs> 38 years. Now, suppose when Mary Alice and I were talking about being married, and we, I remember those days. When I was talking about being married, and I said to Mary Alice, listen, I'll tell you what, I'm going to try you. I'm going to give you a tryout. We'll be together for a while. You meet my expectations, you're in. We'll do something, we'll do something permanent at that point. I'd have probably gone to see Jesus right then. <laughs> see, Mary Alice wasn't interested in me trying her. Mary Alice wanted a commitment. And by the way, the nerve of her, she wanted a particular kind of commitment. She wanted a, a threefold commitment. Number one, she wanted a lifelong commitment. Man, if you could find our wedding invitations, we have a few of them left in our stuff. She wanted the word forever in there because, as she explained to me, you're not getting away from me even in heaven. <laughs> she wanted a lifelong commitment. 
among the women in the world, she wanted a supreme commitment. She wanted to come first among all the women in the world. And then when it comes to many aspects of our relationship, she wanted an exclusive commitment. There were things to be between me and her that nobody else would ever be part of. One more time, just to make sure we get that. A lifelong, supreme, and exclusive commitment. Now, I could be talking to somebody, and, and you know, you're, you're single, and you're sort of, you know, hitting the bars and all that. You say, well, I, that really doesn't sound very good to me. You know, lifelong, supreme, exclusive. You know what? Here's the interesting thing. Do you understand that out of that commitment over the last 38 years has flowed a life? A life that would not have been there if there was not a commitment and if that commitment had not been lifelong, supreme, and exclusive. Now, by the way, let's just say for a moment that I didn't live up to that commitment and I failed. Let's say, God forbid, and thankfully this has never happened, but let's say that I did something wrong and I got involved with another woman. Is it possible that Mary Alice would have stayed with me? Yes. But would we have the same life that we have today? No. See, what I'm trying to tell you is out of commitment flows a life. We're talking about finding our life. And we're not going to find that life if we don't have a commitment to Christ. And somebody will say, well, Mike, this sounds, this sounds performance-oriented. I thought that God's relationship with me was based on grace. It is. But let me show you where grace and commitment interface. See, when it, comes to you having, when it comes to you going to heaven, that's all the gift of God. That is God's grace to you. There's not a thing in the world that you can do that gets you into heaven. God accepts you right at the front and says, we're going to settle that right here and now. At the moment you put faith in Christ, you're going to heaven. But that's not the end of my Christian experience. From the point that I received God's grace, now I get into a commitment to him. And the life that I live now and the quality of my life in heaven is going to come down to the commitment that I have to him. Going back to marriage. You see, when Mary Alice married me, that was grace. Oh, boy, was it ever. <laughs> Mary Alice gave herself to me at the altar. She gave her life to me. That was grace. I was getting what I did not deserve. But the life that we have has flowed out of that relationship that we've had over these years. And if I had failed, she might have stayed with me, but our relationship would have never been the same. Some of us have accepted Christ. We're saved. We're going to heaven if we would die right now, we would go to heaven. But here's the thing. We don't feel very close to God. We don't feel his presence. When we worship, we don't feel anything. When we read the Bible, we don't feel anything. When we pray, we don't feel anything. And the weird thing about this, in 38 years of pastoring, one thing I've learned is that people have a tendency to blame God for that. If they don't feel close to God, it's like God's fault. Do you know how people used to show they were a couple before Facebook? I mean, way before Facebook. This is, this is before my time. People, people back in the day used to show that they were a couple, by the way, they said in the automobile. Now, of course, our automobiles today, we all have bucket seats and consoles in the middle, but I want to talk to those of you really old. And like I said, this is before my time. People used to have bench seats in the front seat of the car and column shifters. So you said this bench that you sat on. And you knew when people were a couple because the gal would scoot over and sit next to the guy. And you'd be driving around town. There'd be a car, you know, with six seats in it. There'd be two people sitting as close as you could get in a car. That's how you, are you old timers, am I right? I mean, that's how you showed you were a couple. You didn't have to put it on Facebook. they just see you driving down the road. 
Then you know it's like you get married. It's like the gal says, I'm going to sit over here where it's comfortable and there's a seatbelt. <laughs> I was a kid listening to an evangelist do a talk. I still remember this. This is a great story. He told about, you know, he and his wife were driving down the road by themselves. But this years after they'd been married, they had three or four kids by now. And, you know, the wife was sitting over there by her door. And he was sitting there by his door. And the wife started kind of waxing sad and eloquent about the day that they used to be, you know, courting or dating. And she said, baby, you remember when we were dating? We used to sit so close in the car. I used to sit right next to you and you sit next to me. And now she said, we sit over here by our doors. And he said, I haven't moved a bit. See, the thing of it is, a lot of us don't feel close to God. It's not God's fault. God loves us. He wants to extend grace. The problem is we're committed to other gods. We're committed to money. We're committed to sex. We're committed to pleasure. We're committed to entertainment. We're committed to fulfilling ourselves. We have other gods. We don't have an exclusive relationship with God. We don't have, he's not supreme in our lives. Now, if, we die, if, you, if you believed in Christ, would you go to heaven if you died? Sure, sure. But the life that would have flowed out of that commitment is not there. See, that's the thing. See, when, when I think about my relationship with Mary Alice, there, there are certain things that go with that life that's flowed out of that commitment. One is freedom. Man, I can tell Mary Alice anything, and I do. And like, you know, I walk into the house, I don't even think anything about it. I, I throw my arms around her and kiss her, and let's, let's stop right there. But I mean, I'm just saying, I have access. And beyond that, last night I wasn't feeling real well before the 4 o'clock service, and I was just kind of hoping I felt good enough to speak, and I was just sitting in my office just kind of pulling myself together, and Mary Alice walked in just sat down with me for a while, and I said, babe, it's so good just to have you here. It's such a comfort to have you here when I don't feel well. You see what I'm saying? There was a commitment, and out of that commitment has flowed a life, and out of that life there's now freedom and access and comfort. So that's how it is with God. If you have a commitment to God, you have freedom to go into his presence. You feel perfectly fine there. You have access to talk to God at any time. And beyond that, you have comfort with his presence. Would you have those things if you're a Christian and you don't have a co commitment? Yeah, to some extent, but it's not what it could be. Suppose you say, Mark, I'm open to really being committed to Christ. Well, here's something I'm going to tell you today, and I'm going to tell you many times, because having a life is counterintuitive. It's like a pilot flying on instruments. If you want to do the things that will lead to a fulfilling life, you're going to have to go against what is commonly believed, and you're probably going to have to go against your feelings. And let me talk about that for just a few moments. There is a commonly held myth in our culture today. And we gotta, we got to fight that in order to get to where we'll have meaningful lives. Here's the commonly held myth. You ready for this? It is that commitment flows out of relationship. In other words, we have a relationship. That relationship is going to build, and, all, and there's some sort of click point in there. And when the relationship builds to that click point, then we'll decide to commit. And, and again, I've talked a lot about marriage today. I know this is sensitive because I know this is prevalent in our culture today. It's probably prevalent even among new springers. But there are many people today who live together before they get married. And their feeling is, we're going to have a relationship. We're going to sleep together. We're going to share expenses. Might have a kid or two. But we're going to live together. And at some point, this relationship is going to reach the click point, And then we're going to decide to commit. 
commitment flows out of relationship. And that's common. It's risen, I think, 1,700% in the last 30 years of people who lived together before marriage. Let me, let me read something to you. And the thing of it is, there are a lot of surveys that show that people who live together before marriage, when they do get married, show less satisfaction with marriage and they have a higher proclivity toward divorce. I want to read something to you. And by the way, this doesn't come out of some fundamentalist publication. It's, it comes out of the New York Times. It's a writer for the New York Times, which is not exactly a bastion of social conservatism. But in any event, let me read to you what this article said. The writer was saying couples who cohabit before marriage, and especially before an engagement or otherwise clear commitment, tend to be less satisfied with their marriages and more likely to divorce than couples who do not. These negative outcomes are called the cohabitation effect. I knew all that. It was the next paragraph that got me. What researchers call sliding, not deciding. Let me read that one more time. What researchers call sliding, not deciding. Moving from dating to sleeping over to sleeping over a lot to cohabitation can be a gradual slope, one not marked by rings or ceremonies or sometimes even a conversation. Deciders and sliders. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Marilyn wanted me to know, when we were, before we got married, she wasn't looking for a slider. She was looking for a decider. Could I say that one more time? Morales wasn't looking for somebody who slid into a relationship with her, undefined, hoping at some point that relationship would rise to the level of commitment. She wasn't looking for a slider. She was looking for a decider. So is Jesus. He is not interested in sliders. He wants deciders. That's what he's trying to tell the three guys who said, we'll follow you. And Jesus said, no, you want to slide. Jesus is saying, I want people to decide. The myth is that commitment flows out of a relationship when in reality it's the other way around. Relationship flows out of a commitment. See, there are people who would say, I would commit to Christ if I felt close to him when it's just the opposite. You would feel close to him if you committed to him. So how do we commit to Jesus? <laughs> I think there's, really we could, the whole series is about that. But I want to give you just a thumbnail sketch as I close out today's talk. Um, commitment's not commitment unless he feels like it's commitment. Would you agree with that? And my wife has always been, Marilyn has always been so grateful for anything I ever gave her. But every once in a while, she would tease me, especially when we first got married, because I would give her what I thought she wanted, and I'd be so wrong. I mean, like, you know, Marilyn wasn't interested in, in uh, illustrate, uh, you know, subscription to Sports Illustrated. I'd, I didn't do that badly. <laughs> but I remember one time in a loving way, Marilyn said, Mark, do you want to get me what you want me to want or what I want? It's <laughs> a good question. You know, the thing is, when it comes to committing to Jesus, do we want to give him what we want him to want or what he wants? Well, today I want to take you to a verse that hopefully will just kind of get us started in this discussion. I want to take you to what the Bible calls the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus is going to tell his followers what he wants them to go out and to generate in, in regard to the church. So basically, he's going to say, I want, I want people to do three things. And so in those three things, we get a sense of the three kinds of commitment that Jesus wants from us. We'll talk about those, and then we'll, we'll go home. 
In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number three, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Jesus there tells us that he's looking for three kinds of commitment. The first kind of commitment is when he said make disciples. Basically, he's saying, I want people to trust me. I want people to put their confidence in me, and I want it to be settled. You know, after Jesus rose from the grave, there's the most interesting verse. Jesus, he told his disciples, I want you to meet me at a particular place. And so I want to read that verse. In Matthew 28, the Bible says, the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, worshiped him, but some doubted. I mean, the man was there. He had risen from the grave. He was there physically to touch. And some of them said, you know, I still don't know. Now Listen. There's nothing wrong in the world with being a seeker. All of us need to be seekers. And if you're a seeker here today and you're seeking truth, I'm so glad you're here and you're doing something great. But guys, at some point, you got to call the question. You really do. You got, there, there is some kind of story that explains us, where we're going, and you believe something about that story. Either you could be here today and you say, Mark, I've, I just have come to the conclusion that there's no such thing as God, that we're all a product of random, bottom, random accident, bottom-up intelligence evolution. You know, when you die, it's like the old Kansas song, all you are is dust in the wind. And I've come to that conclusion. I don't share your conclusion, but that's, that's a legitimate viewpoint. You've checked your box. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to love you very much. You didn't come to that position without bias. There was a moment where you chose to go that direction. And the thing of it is, now that you've chosen to go that direction, you basically interpret all the things, all the information that comes into you through the prism of that choice that you've made. And, and the moment I say that, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you I don't know everything about God, I don't know anything about Jesus Christ. I have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God, but I'll be the first to admit to you I came to that conclusion with bias. I made a choice. All of us do. Nope. You know, somebody said, well, Mark, I'm just an honest seeker of truth. I just go wherever anything takes me. I haven't found it yet, but I'm just going to search the rest of my life. Listen, you have checked the dabbler box. You've checked a box. All of us believe some story about why we're here, where we're going. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus wants people, he wants you to call the question. And if you choose to believe in him, he wants you to put your confidence in him. See, here's the thing. You can't get close to anybody you don't trust. Fair? I mean, it's like, listen, if you're in a relationship and you have to hire a private detective, you're not in a loving relationship. Either that or you're paranoid. You know, if, if, nobody can be close together if you don't trust each other. Here's the thing, and I've told you this so many times. I can't love without risking. The moment I love, I put my heart at risk. And Jesus is saying that, look, if you really want to commit to me, you're going to have to put your heart at risk. I want you to be fully committed. I want you to decide what you believe about Jesus. Is he the Son of God or is he not the Son of God? Did he die for sins or did he not die for sins? Did he rise from the grave or did he not rise from the grave? Has he promised to give you eternal life? Yes or no? At some point, Jesus is calling the question. He is saying, the first thing I want, I want people to be committed as to what they believe. And at the moment you commit to believe in Jesus Christ, Christ, you are born of God. You become God's daughter. You become God's son. That's the first kind of commitment Jesus wants. After all, 
You can't, you can't be in love without trust. My cousin, Anita Renfro, is a Christian comedian. She was watching the sermon at 8.15. She texted me in between services, gave me a great quote. She said, a, a, a marriage without trust is like an iPhone without Wi-Fi. <laughs> All you can do is play games. <laughs> it's pretty good. You know the second kind of commitment that Jesus is asking for? Honestly, this goes back to, if this were me, I don't know why this is so important to him. I mean, it just doesn't feel that important to me. But again, we're talking about him and how he feels about things. So if it's important to him, it must be important. Honestly, for me, I don't get it. But it's baptism. Well, why is baptism important? Well, here's the thing. At the moment you commit to believe in Jesus Christ, that is, that is an intellectual matter. Baptism is a public thing. It's a public commitment. You know, see, here's the thing. If I told Mary Alice, I said, baby, I love you. I want to be married to you, but I want it to be a secret. I don't want anybody to know that I'm married to you. When we go out in public, I want you to walk over there, and I'll walk over here. And uh, if anybody asks you if you're married, just don't tell them you're married to me. I know my wife. She loves me very much. She wouldn't be into that. Neither is Jesus. If you believe in him, he wants you to be public about it. You, not your parents. You. One thing I've shared with you time after time, you know, you give religion time, it'll screw anything up, and boy, has it screwed up baptism. See, here's the thing. Baptism has no saving grace. Baptism will not get you into heaven. It won't get you out of Sedgwick County when you die. Being baptized without having Christ in your life is like wearing a wedding ring without being married. That'd be kind of creepy, wouldn't it? But most of us who are married wear wedding rings. Why? Because a wedding ring is a tangible, visible symbol of a life change. And that's what baptism is. Baptism has no saving grace at all. Could I have been married without that ring? Sure. If I'd never gotten that ring, could I still be married? I've married couples who didn't have rings. That ring doesn't make me married any more than baptism makes, or makes, baptism doesn't make me a Christian any more than that ring makes me married. But I wear it proudly every day. In 38 years, it's gotten pretty bent up and pretty worn down, but I still wear it every day because it's a tangible, visible symbol of an intangible, invisible commitment. What happened with baptism, the reason why it got all screwed up is about 250 years after Jesus died, there were some Christians who said, well, we think you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Well, that's wrong. That's not true. Thief on the cross wasn't baptized. But after a while, people began to believe it. Well, if you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven, by all means, better get our babies baptized. Nobody had ever baptized babies in the Bible. Never been done before. But about 200, 250 years after Jesus died, people said, well, you know, and I understand it. I mean, I get it. I, if you think that baptism gets you into heaven, then by all means, you know, you need to, but it's not true. See, the thing about it is everybody in the Bible who was baptized, read it, check it out on, on your own. Everybody who was baptized in the Bible was baptized after they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It became a physical, visible testimony. Testimony, that's a great word. If you're a part of a court case and you're sitting on the stand and the attorney is questioning you and you're saying that X, Y, and Z happened and the attorney said, well, when did that happen? You say, well, next week. I'm sorry. The judge would say, that's inadmissible. You can't testify to something that hasn't happened yet. And so baptism is something that you give testimony to after you accept Christ. You say, I want everybody to know I'm going public with my faith. And, and the weird thing about baptism is that baptism is just, and again, I didn't invent this, Jesus did. 
In baptism, if you've ever seen anybody baptized, they go under the water showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They're brought up out of the water showing resurrection. If I see you baptized, I know who you follow. Because there was only one person who died, who was buried, and who rose from the grave. If you follow Buddha, I don't know how you would symbolize that. Maybe you would just sit, you know. <laughs> but if you follow Jesus, you know, baptism, death, burial, resurrection, know who you follow. And I've been really blessed from time to time to be in foreign countries where I didn't speak the language, but in baptism, it was something that we could celebrate together because that picture of death, burial, and resurrection, it's just uniform. It crosses all, it crosses all barriers. But guys, here's the thing. And the reason why, I, I'm, I'm, honestly, between you and me, if it was up to me, I wouldn't think this is very important. Why is it important to go underwater and come up out of the water? I don't know. It's just big to Jesus. And so I work for him. I make the point. If you haven't had that experience yet. And let me just tell you my story. I don't have much time, but I'll tell you my story. My story is kind of quirky. I grew up a pastor's kid. And I know that this is going to come as a total shock to a lot of you. I wasn't exactly the most spiritual kid when I was growing up. You're supposed to laugh there. <laughs> but I wasn't. And I don't have a whole lot of memories from my childhood this early. I was five or six years old, and I was back, because I remember this real clearly. I was sitting in the living room of my house playing with some plastic figurines, and my mom and dad, well-intentioned, of course, they decided it was time to have the talk with Mark about being saved, about going to heaven. And so dad said, Mark, I want to talk to you for a few moments. And I kept playing with my toys. He said, put your toys up. So I sat there, and I listened to dad, and dad said, you need to pray to receive Jesus. I must have prayed. But between you and me, at least just between me and this section right here, <laughs> I want to get back to playing with my toys. Now, I grew up Baptist. I don't know. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I started to say raise your hand if you grew up Baptist, but you're Baptist. You won't raise your hand. So in any event. <laughs> I grew up Baptist, and back in the day, we have what we call altar calls. So if you made a decision, you walk forward in church, you tell the pastor what you, what you did, everybody would come around and shake your hand, you know. So my parents explained to me an altar call. I'm like, you know, they say, you're going to go forward, you're going to, you know, tell your dad what you did, and, and people will come around and shake your hand. And then my parents actually worked it out, my dad worked it out where I could actually be baptized that morning. Now, I'm, I'm five or six years old. I have made, I've prayed a prayer, and I've gone down wet, I've gone down dry and come up wet, Okay. The only problem is, I don't have a clue what it means to really know God. You know what? Over the next few years, I really wrestle with that. And when I was eight years old, I was on the playground of my school. It was at Forest Hill Elementary School in Fort Worth. And I bent over to get a drink of water. And I remembered a message my dad had preached the day before. And he said, if you would ask Jesus, he would forgive you of all your sins. I had a big rap sheet by that time <laughs> in heaven. And I remember that. And I bent over to get a drink of water. And I prayed and I invited Jesus Christ into my life. But now I have a problem on my hands. And I know that you say, well, Mark, you were eight. It's not the biggest thing in the world. But for me, it was because I'm thinking, everybody thinks I'm okay. How do I go back and say, you know, walk down the front in the altar call and say, I um, got my baptism on the wrong side of my salvation. And, I, I, you know, I know it sounds like it would have been a simple thing, but I grew up in a pastor's home, and that's like growing up in a glass house. By the way, thank you so much that you haven't asked that from my family. You guys are the most awesome church in the world. You haven't made my kids grow up in a glass house. I can't tell you what that means to me. But I grew up in that environment. So how do you go forward and say, and, and I'm ashamed to say this, it took me six years 
I was 14 years old, and it was a church of about 175. All of us tough teenage boys, we sat on the back row. We were all tough. We sat there like we didn't care about what was going on. But I was listening. And dad made the, and so we had the altar call. And so I'm on the end of the bench, and I'm thinking, I need to go forward and explain this. But I was scared, so I'd like put my foot out in the aisle, and I'd put it back, and I'd put it out in the aisle. Put it, it's kind of like doing the Texas two-step. That's the only dancing that Baptists do, too, is <laughs> in altar calls. Finally, I went forward, and guys, I would just tell you the great peace I had when I got my baptism on the right side of my salvation. Some of you need to do that. And you know, you can do it with a talk to us card. You got a talk to us card, and you come in, just, I, need, I want to be baptized. Just check the box, give it to somebody at the back door, drop it off at guest services. And even if you're not sure, just go ahead and check the box. We'll get you the information. You can decide if you want to do that. But for some reason, it's really huge for Jesus for us to go public with our faith. I mean, he's, if you're going to be committed to him, he wants, to be, he wants it to be public. Somebody can say, well, Mark, man, go up there in front of everybody. I'm like freaking out to do that. Hey, son of God hung naked on a cross for six hours, nailed there, bleeding to pay for your sins. Surely you could go public for him just going below water and coming up out of the water. You can dry your hair later. Seriously? It's big to him. Commitment. First of all, call the question, what do you believe? deciding that you believe on Jesus. Number two, going public with your faith. Let me go back to the verse one more time. Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the things I've commanded you. The first commitment is an intellectual com uh, commitment. It is, I decide to believe in Jesus. I put my trust in him. I'm deciding to trust him. The second one is public. I want to go public with my faith. The third commitment that Jesus wants from you and me is a commitment to learn, learn what's important to him and to emulate him, to follow him. Jesus said, teach people to know what to do. And that's what you and I are going to do for the next six weeks. We're going to learn what's important to Jesus. And here's the thing I've discovered. When you follow Jesus, anything that you do that obeys him benefits me. You know, that's true. Everything I've ever done. You know, Jesus tells me to forgive people who've hurt me. I discover that benefits me. Jesus tells me to give to people who are in need. I've discovered that that blesses me, and I feel good when I do that. Everything Jesus ever tells me to do, I discover that it's for his glory and it's for my good. I never come out behind following Jesus. He wants you to be locked down, committed. He is looking for people. Who are serious? Are you serious? Are you serious about following Jesus? I got one minute left. And in this minute, I want to do something really important. I want to go to that first commitment point. It could be that you're here today and you say, Mark, I've dabbled. I've thought a whole lot of things about a lot of things. But today, I am ready to, you know, I can't be close to Jesus if I don't trust him. I am ready to give him my heart. I'm ready to give him my trust. Well, I want to pray a prayer with you. These aren't magic words, but these are words that reach out to God. These are words that put confidence in Jesus. These are the words that if you mean them from your heart, you can know for sure that if you were to die today, you were going to heaven. Would you just bow your heads with me, please, for a moment? I will pray the prayer with you. I'll pray it slowly so that you can repeat it. Like I always say, we're not a hummada, hummada, hummada kind of church. This is not just kind of repeating words. You can say your own words. The important thing is that you say a big yes to Jesus. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I'm a flawed, broken sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. 
I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe Jesus arose from the grave. I believe he is alive. I put my trust and confidence in you, Lord. I trust in Jesus to be my Savior and my King. Thank you for forgiving me and for making me God's child. If you just called the question today, I've got, you can say, Mark, I still, I, I, I've decided, but I'm still, I still, there are a lot of questions I have, and I know that, I do too. But I've got a packet for you. If you just prayed to receive Christ, there's a DVD and a book I wrote that answers a lot of questions, plus a coupon for a new Bible. All you got to do is check the box, say, pray with Mark, bring it to guest services. There's a big one out in the lobby, a little one back by the coffee shop. And you can just say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give you this. They won't hassle you or bother you. They just want to give you this. By the way, you're saying, I want to follow the Lord in baptism. I need to take that step. Take your talk to us card. And you can just check the box that says, I want to, I want to be baptized. And leave that with us today. And we'll get you the information that you would, you would need to have about our next watermark. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next weekend.